Welcome to another episode of Consider This. We are uh, back in the studio today. I think it's always good to uh, just introduce everybody who's here, just in case you're not watching on our Facebook post. Um, so across the table from me is Ryan Vincent from our adult ministries, and then uh, two that work within our family ministries, Morgan and Justin, uh, working predominantly with uh, our high school students. And so... Um, we're basically in the studio today in light of the what we've been preaching through recently. And so we're in a series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, for those of you from the Sunnybrook family, you know that. And uh, we've been dealing with some heavy-hitting texts regarding sexual immorality. And so we thought we would come into the studio today and just talk about a little bit of the, what's the condition of the church. Uh, some of the most uh, listened-to podcasts actually uh, usually kind of revolve around this particular topic. And uh so I think, is that not right, Ryan? Like, I think some of the biggest ones that we've had is when we begin to discuss about uh, the view of homosexuality mm-hmm. or anything about pornography or something yeah, like that. Yeah, those were two just, of our biggest uh, or most listened to episodes. It sparks an interest. And yeah. so, um, you know, and I, I, I think it's uh, even somewhat appropriate. It's a topic that kind of runs throughout all of the Bible, the issues of both purity as well as immorality. Uh, in the sexual realm, and so um, I think it's probably appropriate that we talk about it. So first question I want to ask, and uh, you know, I'm going to kind of throw it at you, Justin. So obviously the Bible talks about the people of God being sexually, um, uh, they should be sexually pure. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible talks a lot about sexual immorality. And so since we shouldn't be that way, I would just love to know what you would, to the best of your ability, h- how do you perceive how the church is doing on this challenge, on this call, on this admonition to be sexually pure and to not be sexually immoral. Here's what I would hope, and I would assume that when you would look at the numbers or percentages of those not in the church versus those in the church, that the church would, in general, hopefully be doing better in that area. But I don't think that means not existent within the church. I specifically am dealing with many students who have deep-rooted sexual addictions centering around pornography, centering around relationships. What age group? This is high school. High high school school and college, for instance. And um, it's a pervasive problem. I I have not met a young man in quite some time who has not struggled with the issue of pornography, which is sexual immorality. Um, It's rare when I meet somebody who doesn't struggle with sexual promiscuity, right, outside of the marriage context. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say it's not there and I don't want to say, um, that we have no holiness, right? I think there's, sure. there's a deep, deep seated issue. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know statistics on that. I'd love to know that. Like, I feel like I'm making an assumption here, but I don't know. Have you guys read anything on that specific issue of if the church is in fact doing better? If any, if anything, I'll see statistics, and I, and I usually question how they're being generated. But sure. I'll see statistics on sexual immorality. They might not even call it that, but probably they would just say either premarital sex or cohabitation or whatever. That there be, I'll see statistics that say that there's very little difference between those inside the church and those outside the church, mm-hmm. and I'll see similar statistics to talk about divorce. And that it's just the same in the world as it is in the church, or the church suffers in the same way that the hmm. world does. And uh, 
that is not something that I, I, I do not really experience that. Yeah. The, I don't know. I just don't see that being true. I don't see um, worldly college students making the same decisions I see students here making. Yeah. Decisions to, to, towards holiness. In terms of the same percentages. Yeah, sure. We might make some of the same mistakes, but en masse. Yeah, I think. Well, I'm, there's been a lot of studies actually on the, uh, on, the, on the bit of the problem of addressing the question. So when we say inside the church or outside of the church, particularly on the ones on divorce, I actually studied this a while back when I was doing a marriage series. And um, the uh, the number when you begin to say okay so what does it mean to be a Christian mm-hmm. and so is it just I attend church and they basically said yeah like if if it is just a self identifying yep. factor then there really is very little difference between people who self identify as Christian and people who are not believers the yep. divorce rates are very very similar but when you start saying okay so Morgan what do you mean by saying you're a Christian and Morgan goes I am a Bible believing Christian and I attend church regularly and I honor God with my life then those statistics of those people are radically different. Right. I mean, like significantly different in the area of divorce. And so it's a little bit of how you self-identify and how yeah. that works. And so I would say, I would, I would guess those to be rather similar. Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, and it's just, think of the, all the people that we get to spend time with and minister to and, and have like a connection to their lives. Um, I just I don't see the same degree of infestation of of this this problem in the lives of the now there's there's something I would say that is probably unique about junior high high school high and on into college especially pornography is is a really kind of insidious problem that really doesn't care if you're a Christian or not it can be uh-huh. difficult yeah but I would, but it just seems that to to make the blanket statement that sexual sexual immorality or the view on sex is exactly the same in the world as it is in the church, I would say oh, yeah. uh, that does not play out. Yeah, and and so, I mean, I see. I was reading today, a uh, youth pastor in a, I think Texas somewhere who just got caught um, having sexually misconduct sexual misconduct with people in their youth group, right? I know somebody personally who um, was involved with a ministry I was involved with that is in jail right now because of that issue. So it's not that it's not there, right? We're not saying there's somehow a shield around it. It's it's pervasive, but... I would say, too, to talk about what Jim said, that this applies with divorce, one thing that it would definitely, I would assume, would similarly apply uh, apply in this area is... Um, sexual sin and sexual immorality, so much of that is secretive and is done. It's not done in a public arena. And so it's not technically a, it's not always a public sin. So it oftentimes needs to be confessed or caught. That's typically how it's brought Mm -hmm. about. It's, um, and, and more times I would say in the church context, it's, it's going to be confessed if, if you are, so if you are attending church every week, but you're not a part of the body, I don't know if you're going to be in a lot of contexts where people are going to be asking you to be vulnerable with them and where they're going to be vulnerable with you and where you're going to be in a habit of confessing sin and dealing with sin with one another. And so you're probably not going to go up after a a church service on a Sunday, even if you feel convicted, and go find some stranger that you don't have a great relationship with and confess (laughs) this sort of thing. And so... I think that makes a difference too. I think if you want to talk about the difference between 
um, someone who's coming on Sunday and someone that is in relationship with the body of Christ yeah. in a vulnerable way, that number is going to, that has to be different. Well, let me ask you this too, Morgan, because, you know, it's really interesting because when we talk a lot about sexual morality, it's always fascinating because we usually think of guys can be that way. Mm-hmm. But on the one hand, the majority of guys who are being that way are being that way with someone who is female. And so to try to think that, uh, you know, the percentages are that much more for men than they are for women, you know, at some point in time, there has to be a connection between those two, although not always. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the area of pornography, um, the statistics show that men are far more likely or young men are far more likely than young women. But tell me how you're experiencing this in, you know, the areas that you've you're a young woman yourself, a young single woman yourself, and you're involved with ministry with a lot of college-age women and then uh, high school and as well as junior high. Mm-hmm. So h- how are you seeing this play out? How are you seeing this begin to affect them? Is this something you would go, yeah, no, girls never wrestle with these things? Or no, this is something that I'm, I'm seeing that's, uh, that's, that's having a profound effect on, on, on a lot of our women as well? Yeah, I, I think it absolutely does. And I think... Um, we talked about this a little bit on the pornography podcast, but um, this is a, this is a sin or a struggle with a sin as a woman that you feel dirty about because it's like okay for a guy. It's kind of almost been lifted up as a guy sin, and so oftentimes it brings with girls confessing it. It brings a, primarily what I deal with is a lot of shame, is what they're feeling with it. A lot of I can't escape. I am I am dirty. I am. Um, I don't know how to get out of this kind yeah. of thing. Um, like, what is wrong with me? Guys struggle with this. Why would I? Yeah. You know? And so, um, but junior, I mean, think about it. If you were to turn on the radio, like most songs are talking about this issue, are talking about something that is sexually immoral. Um, truly, just listen to the lyrics of some of your kids' radio stations that they listen to um, or some songs on their iPods and or, I guess, iPhones. And... Um, um, and and pornography, um, not just not just I would even say straight up what maybe we would have used to think of as pornography, yeah. but a lot of just in a really inappropriate TV shows and concepts like Grey's Anatomy, for instance, which I knew and I, I had a lot of friends in high school that loved that show. Good Christian people. The I bachelor, started watching it and I thought, bachelor, what the bachelorette. Heck? Yeah. Yeah, just so there's a lot of just very like that whole show's premise is about the sexual relationships they have with one another. Yeah, and so well, that's what the way Friends was. Yep, right. There was yes. a lot of that even on Seinfeld yes. and um, j- the joking, coarse joking. Um, there's also, I mean, there's just it's it's just kind of everywhere, and for a girl to feel like she is um, attractive or wanted um, is t- typically tied to how. Um, sexy you can be portrayed yeah um which you know you might say that's crazy why would you want somebody to care for you or value you well because we're human and we want to be cared for and valued (laughs) you know and so if we don't if that's not happening in right context if that's not happening over explained as this is what we're lifting up is actually what we value is your is your mind your heart for jesus um your heart to live pure lives if i didn't have that encouragement i'd be seeking it out in other ways sure. you know i'm sure i would yeah. you know but i i was i had i had a lot of people speak like encourage me in other areas <laughs> you know and so that was i think that's just human thing not yeah. a guy thing not a girl thing i think it's a it's a human, it's a human thing. thing yeah i think it's interesting to see i think our culture's view on sex and like what we accept 
has started to catch up with us a little bit, right? We oh, see yeah. this in yep. the Me Too movement. We yep. see this on like the rape allegations that are seem pervasive on college campuses, all these sports programs that are getting into trouble yeah. because of yeah. sexual misconduct. Yeah. And it's it's like it's surprising to them and I don't know why. You know, it, it's it's like oh wow, so now we want to have a sexual ethic. Right, because of the abuse. Well, no, it's because we've accepted so far beyond what is truly meant for sex that now we're seeing abuse of it, and there's a problem, and uh, it's it's frustrating, right? Yeah. But it's it's the reality of what Scripture says versus the world. There will always be a gap between the way the world thinks and the way God intended things to be, or at least there should be. Uh, final final thought on this first question. So, Ryan. You know, we're considering uh, how the how the how the church is doing, and right now we've been talking. It's kind of blending together, right? The church, generally speaking, in America, and then and then Sunnybrook in particular. How, how anything that you would finally finally say from say uh, your ministry working more with adults, um, uh, how you think Sunnybrook specifically is doing in this in this regard, where you think either we're getting it right or we're getting it wrong. Um. I think I could safely say we're we're well above average. I mean, I just I I, I see the gospel transforming um, both the lives of of like a Morgan and and the lives of like a Justin who who has a spouse and has a context for for certain things. Um, I, I see that playing out in our church, and yet at the same time, I see dysfunction within the church. Um, and what I could say on on the encouraging side of sure, there is there are sin problems in the church. I also, en masse, see a, a church body that is, um, to, to whatever extent, teachable and, and can hear the gospel and let that speak into our lives and, um, and repent well, with exceptions, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 2030 ministry here at Sunnybrook, we have, a, we have a large section of our adult ministry that deals with the, kind of the younger side of the, that group. We do see um, that this problem is is probably more overt in that context where you have a lot of single people and a lot of them struggling to find that, that value that Morgan talked about, or that, that sense of worth from other human beings. And so they can, are probably more prone to go seek that out in inappropriate ways than, than say Jim or Andre would be. Um, and to be honest, one of the new things that, well, I guess it's not new, but with increasing regularity, um, I'm having to give answers to the same sex attraction question and, and having to defend the, the biblical position on that. Um, and having to, I mean, you just have a lot of people that are looking for, I think, affirmation in, in their lives and they'll, they'll find that physically and, and they'll find it, um, in both a heterosexual or homosexual way. And so in this younger demographic, right, they, they have been, by and large, taught for most of their life by a world that says that this is an entirely viable way of uh, fulfilling your, your, your sexual expression and, and living out your life. It, it is very much a, an option for you. Yeah. And so I've been, I've been surprised since the, kind of the inauguration of this ministry about a year ago how, uh, how much that's actually come up. And so... Um, so I'm going to say with you then. So what 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 sexual sins? Because there's there's a number of ones that are described in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Would you say there's any group? There doesn't have to be, but do you say there's any group of sexual sins that you say we are you you would assess that we are more guilty of partaking in or accepting or uh, being you know being soft on? Would you, Ryan? Would you say anything? 
Um, I would I would say the ones that are harder to nail down. They're they're not as as overt, and that would be taking pleasure in in what is is paraded around as entertainment today when so much of it is really quite illicit and is not in it does not uphold god's design for um sexual morality in virtually any way i mean it's very difficult for my wife and i to find um to find television shows that aren't you know just kind of nonsensical comedies that don't in some way like uphold something that is contrary to the way that god has held held things to out to be and so you know, however you want to define whether or not that is sinful or or what it's it is it is constantly in our face. Paraded. It it really is. And then one that you know probably we don't talk about enough. Um, and and I and I wonder if it's just because I don't know how to talk about it, and I don't know how to gain access to people's lives enough to maybe speak to it. Is inside of a faithful marriage. What does a healthy sexual relationship look like in terms of frequency and in terms of dying to your own desires for the sake of, of your spouse? Yeah. I think I, I would not be surprised if where we'd appeal back the, the veneer on a lot of people and a lot of otherwise healthy looking marriages that we would find some dysfunction at that level. Hmm. So that's interesting because not, not often do we think about like a sexually uh, broken situation in the um, marriage context that has abstinence in it, right? I mean, usually not intentional. It's not like Paul describes it. If you have set apart this, this, this time for prayer and for fasting. And so you're, you know, you're withholding uh, sexual relations for that reason. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about truly a broken situation. Mm -hmm. And I've I've dealt with a number of these in, in different uh, counseling situations. And it's fascinating to me that in every case, every case that I have dealt with, every single case I've dealt with, where there is a high level of dysfunction, and I trace it back, it was um, before they were married, there was a very, 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 say healthy, I mean sinful, but a very productive sex life. Very Very, active, yeah. Very active, that would be the best word. Very active sex life before they were married, um, that kind of, they thought they would continue on, and then all of a sudden, somehow into the early years of the marriage, the wheels fall off, and then all of a sudden it's it's been sometimes years yeah uh, in between uh, you know the, the frequency of of, uh, of sexual intimacy and so you're going and that is a, that that is broken I yeah mean, that that then spins into other unhealthy ways to respond yeah and so that's it's funny it's not funny it's very interesting that you even point that out it's uh, yeah something that we don't talk a lot about when I'm going through premarital counseling with couples and and I do I, I, I come across the fact that they are they are currently sexually active. Uh, one of the questions that I'll ask both of them, it's not just a guy or a girl problem, I'll ask both of them, um, are you sure that you're willing to commit the rest of your life to someone who apparently cannot control themselves? Mm-hmm. And are you sure that you're going to trust him <laughs> on that trust business issue. trip to yeah. Chicago yeah. when uh, at this point in his life he's been unable to control himself? Yeah. And are you sure that you're willing to commit to her to continue to care about you when at this point in her life she's likely just doing what it is that fulfills her the most. Yeah, yeah. At some point, that that selfishness that right now looks like romantic, physical love, but that selfishness, it blossoms into very long-running difficulties yeah. down the road. I was dealing with one particular case and uh, where, there was, uh, where there was infidelity. And uh, it, was, it was interesting because one of the spouses that had, the spouse that had been unfaithful um, was at least saying, but at least the person I'm having this relationship with, I love. 
And so when I began to kind of, and this is actually happens probably every time when I begin to uncover um, that, that the couple, right? So the husband and the wife were actually involved in that before they were married. And I said, how did you justify it back then? And they justified it back then because why? They were in love. Yeah. And I remember saying to one spouse one time, well, the good news is, is that your spouse is at least in love with the person that they're now sleeping with. Yeah. And so when you're dealing with immorality and if the basis of making it okay or making it somehow in our minds justifiable or moral is based upon love, then man, that's a that's a that's a tossed ship in a in a very tumultuous sea. Yeah, sure. So anything else you guys want to add, Morgan, Justin, Justin? Yeah. So I think there's this idea that love is sex. We ex- we can only express ourselves fully our love fully through sex. Huh. And so therefore, uh, if, if I, if for a girl, if they have somebody pursuing them saying, Hey, I love you. They're more likely to give sexual favors to their boyfriend. Yeah. If they're saying they love you, you look pretty because they're finding that fulfillment there, that, um, that value there. And there's this other pervasive idea that I need to know how good you are at sex before I can marry you. Yeah. I need to, we need to test run this. Like, cause if we don't have a very good sex life, our marriage probably isn't going to be good. So we need to, we need to see if we're good, compatible, compatible sexually. Yeah. They use a lot of that compatibility language. And those two ideas that love is sex, that those are equal things and that you need to be able to be compatible sexually, like by testing your sexual relationship. Those are dangerous, dangerous ideas that yeah. are that very pervasive in the lives of students that I see. And because whether it's parents, teachers, whatever, whoever is speaking to um, erroneously or not speaking to. That, that's a big problem that I see. Um, Morgan, I'm going to ask you kind of on this next question. Um, so do you think we're talking about this? You know, uh, it doesn't seem like when I mean, we're doing a podcast where we use the word sex, I don't know how many times already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I remember living in a time, I mean, I'm old, so I remember living in a time where it was somewhat of a taboo-ish type topic. It doesn't seem to be now. Do you think we're talking about the issues of sex and sexual immorality or even sexual healthy, like a biblical mm-hmm. view of that? Do you think we're talking about it like, too much, not enough. Like, how would you say we as a church um, are doing talking about it? Um, that's tricky, kind of. First of all, when we say sexual immorality, people will chalk that up to mean a lot of different things. The Bible seems to say anything that is um, that is acting um, sexually with someone that is outside of a marriage context between a man and a woman is sexually immoral. So. Um, pornography is sexually is sexual immorality. Um, it, it, we call it fornication is the word the Bible yeah. uses quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um, that can even be like messing around with your girlfriend or boyfriend um, that is inappropriate. Um, so I, there is there's a lot there, and sure. we like to toe the line and figure out what's exactly the line we can cross. But when we say sexual immorality, we're covering a lot of that stuff. Is what we're trying to say That's here. Yep. Um, do I think we talk about that? enough or not enough or too much. I think it kind of depends on the context. I think it needs to be talked about. I think it needs to be addressed. I think it needs to be addressed just in view of the ultimate intimacy and satisfaction that you have in a relationship with the Lord. Um, I think if you talk about it too much, it can just continue to feed into the idea that this is primarily who we are, Hmm. is our sexual beings. I know a lot of one thing that I struggle with as a as a single Christian woman trying to live pure 
is that when people are single or when people that were Christian single people that then get married, it's they act like there's no bounds um, with this issue of sex. So they can talk, they can joke about it hmm. and they're free to do that. Um, and it's not wrong because I actually have a context where I'm doing this, which I still think it can be wrong yeah. to be joke actually to be talking yep. about it in this way. Yep. Um, and I and so there's a lot of just really twisted understanding, even I think in in Christian circles, um, that are just unhealthy. Yeah. You know. Um. So in that sense, I think we I think there's sometimes we need to talk about it more, and then there's other times where I think yeah we need to pull back on this because we don't I don't want to talk about it as much as the world does. I don't know if that's if it's just like hey world we can talk about this as much as you can. See we can just yeah. talk. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if yeah. that's I don't that's not no, always that's right. the answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, that became really popular in the church um, the last X number of years with all these different, uh, let's go through Song of Songs again, and mm-hmm. let's, you know, and there really was this, we're going to talk about it just like mm-hmm. you, and we're going to lift up healthy, and, and I loved the goal was let's talk about healthy sexuality within mm-hmm. a marriage context, and I began to think to myself, you know, you're now, you're now almost mirroring in yeah. many ways kind of the, how the world is talking mm-hmm. about it and you're just trying to kind of cast this biblical light over it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I think now you're overstating. And yeah. I think, and I think honestly, one of the best ways we can talk about it is I think you have to have certain times when it's talked about to large groups of people. I think it's kind of inevitable. But I think one of the best contexts that's always a good practice, whether you're married or you're single, is that somebody needs to be asking you about it. Yeah. Because it's that pervasive in our culture yeah. And, yeah. and in our lives. And it's that deep of an issue. Yeah. So it can't just be someone only speaking about it at this big level. Maybe that should happen every once in a while. Yeah. I don't think that should happen all the time. Yeah. I think, though, I think there someone even other than Andrea, right, in your life, I think needs to be calling you to oh, the carpet yeah. of making yeah. sure that you are staying pure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in your relationship with Andrea and and in in marriage in the context, yeah. someone needs to be asking me about that yeah. uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. Outside because of the sermon, they context. know this is a human temptation, and it's yeah. all over the world. And yeah. so, in our culture, it's going to be something constantly at the door. Yeah. And it's and it's and it's going to be like it's going to be easy to seize that opportunity if you want it. Yeah. And so, it's just healthy to make sure someone's in your life asking these questions. And that's actually harder to do than just speaking at it from a big platform. Yeah. You know, yeah. let me talk about it in the context of my small group is different than I'm, I'm on a one-on-one getting coffee or ha- have a girl over to my house and I just straight up say, are you struggling with anything sexually? Yeah. Like what, what kind of things do you watch? What kind of things do you listen to? Like very poignant questions. Yeah. You know, when, when do you spend the most time by yourself? Yeah. Are you tempted to do things that you shouldn't? I mean, like you just have to straight up ask very f- kind of flat. Well, I, I'll never forget out. my dad. My dad used to, uh, when I was younger, my dad, I never understood what he meant for years. And then I found out, oh, I know what he means by that. But my dad would just say, hey, son, don't be in your room with your door closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, dad, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting how something as simple as that really can all of a sudden mean mm-hmm. more than you realize. Well, and, and so, calling it what it is yeah. is another yeah. thing. I yeah. mean, it, um, I remember describing some. This is going to sound really weird because I'm talking. But I was describing something to my dad that I was trying to talk to somebody about, um, like dealing with in a youth context, and he just said, "Okay, don't call it that because you're using like a slang, and let's just call it what it actually is. Yeah. Like we need to put the ugly back on what this actually yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, 
yeah, even without, like that, that was healthy. Yeah, without you know? the, without the ugly, then all of a sudden, that's yeah. the, I think the problem with joking around about it is that somehow with the humor, and yeah. I mean it is so pervasive mm-hmm. uh, in in the humor world. I, th- I think it makes us um, somewhat like uh, less sensitive to it. Yeah. yeah, because it's no longer a shock thing. It's actually kind of funny, and so therefore, if it's kind of funny, then you know. Yeah. So you think about that. Were you going to say something, Ryan? I thought. Yeah. No, gonna... I was going to say I, I've been joking around for the last couple of months. Um, <laughs> speaking funny. of humor, I've been joking <laughs> around for the last couple of months. In in two hundred years, the the church is going to look back and say, "Man, you guys were obsessed with sex. It was all you talked about there for about fifty years." And uh, and to some extent, I actually think that that will be rather true. And and uh, and I think that it's in because we have to 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 speak on behalf of the gospel into our context. And so in a lot of ways, we're oh, responding to culture. That, that is good, yep. And yet, I don't think that you can go so far as to then it becomes voyeuristic, right? I, I still remember in, in Mark Driscoll's book, Real Marriage or whatever it was called, it was, it was pushing every limit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, for, a, for a book written by a minister on the issue of sex. And, uh, and I still remember he had to have a, like a disclaimer in the preface that said something like, we're going to be sharing very graphic details about certain things in this book. It's not intended to be voyeuristic. And I thought, the fact that you had to write that in your book <laughs> might say that you have crossed some lines. Yeah. Might say that you have drifted into a worldly approach to yeah. a, a godly subject. Yeah. And so I, on the one hand, I think, wow, culture is really just, all it wants to do is continue to champion the sexual revolution. We're well on the tail end of it by now, but... Uh, like I Justin pointed out, we are we are starting to pay dividends on on all the freedoms we wanted. Um, but but like it's our job as ministers, as a church, as Christians to to speak to that with the gospel. So in two hundred years, they'll say you guys talked about sex a lot, and then they'll say yes. Did you look at what we had to answer? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's still there's still a point where it's let's not let's not cutesy it up with funny jokes and the, all, the euphemisms are not always as helpful right because sometimes they can take some of the Sting. the hard edges yeah. off of what yeah. needs to to be offensive yeah mm-hmm. yeah no that's good yeah. you know one of the things you know uh, is we kind of turn the corner and kind of head for home um Justin I want to ask you so we we we've, we've we've got to talk about it it's uh, it's something that's going on in our culture i was surprised on sunday when i preached through the beginning part of first corinthians 6 first 11 verses that when i went back and i looked at the, the the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of god and i went back and i looked at the number of times that that phrase was used they will not inherit right these people will not enter into heaven revelation the one constant is is sexual immorality. Like that comes up over and over and over again, mm-hmm. that the sexually immoral will not. And then it'll add sometimes like drunkenness, and it'll add like greedy and those yeah. that are covetous and those that are idolaters. But the probably the two most consistent sins that are discussed are the sexually immoral and the idolatrous. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say in the first century context, as well as our own, I would say there's a lot of overlap between yeah. idol worship and sexual immorality. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap there. And so I want to ask this question. So Justin, pointing it at you. So then what do we need to do in the bigger context of ministry better so that we can address this subject sure. in a healthy and, and really kind of get the ball down the field mm-hmm. and make some gospel implication impact on people's lives? Sure. We need to have a game plan. I mean, it, we can't just shoot from the hip on this uh, issue. 
we need to know when this is becoming an issue in kids' lives, first of all. Yeah. Okay. So like talking about it when they're in high school is too late. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. And that's kind of when people realize because, oh, I found a condom wrapper in my kid's wallet. It's too late. So from okay. a, from a trusted expert, you know the average age that a an American boy sees porn for the first time ten. It w- it was nine about three years ago when he did the study, and he said it's getting lower every single year. Every year, every year. Yeah. And so we I, yeah we have to have a game plan of when we're speaking of it, and then we need a game plan of when we're unwrapping new layers of it, because we don't need to hit them with the fire hydrant when they're yeah. eight. Yeah. But they need to be introduced to this. Yeah. Um, there's some great resources out there that we would, as a family ministry team, would love to give you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we have to give the game plan. But then we have to realize that you can. There's filters like for your your phones and your computers that you can put on your kids' stuff, which are necessary these days. You've got to know what's coming into their eyes and what they're saying. You need to know that. But that cannot save their soul. Right. That yeah. that is yep. a yep. that's trying to fix a symptom yep. of something broken within them. And, mm-hmm. and we have to interject the gospel. We have to take the focus off of the symptom of a broken heart and an idolatrous heart. And yep. truly, I mean, you talk to Scott Irwin, he'll tell you that the thing that gets you past some of this sexual sin is not continuing to find more creative, strategic ways to beat that sexual sin. It's to focus on the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. This cruciformed life is the only way to beat it. And as silly as that sounds, that's not what the world will ever teach you. They will give you this five, ten-step program to beat some addiction, which is great, but it's not. uh, It's ultimately just fixing a symptom, and we've got to fix the heart. It won't change the heart. I was thinking about as Morgan was describing all the difficulties that she would be helping somebody with, and all the pain. I'm just thinking, wow, like. What a, what a privilege it is for us to be able to give the gospel to that mm-hmm. context. So when someone is broken, you were describing the dirtiness that a young, mm-hmm. a young woman would feel to be able to describe that though your sins be like, um, you know, scarlet. as red as scarlet, mm-hmm. they'll be as white as wool, they'll be white as snow. Um, and so that becomes the beautiful remedy of the gospel is that we don't have to hide, we don't have to mm-hmm. deny, we don't have to lie, we don't have to pretend. We literally can bring these things into the light. We can actually confess our sins, and he who is faithful and just will forgive us of all unrighteousness. So let's remember that. I love the game plan idea. Morgan, anything else that you want to add? What do we need to do um, to just make sure that we're addressing this subject best? I would say uh, one of the big issues would be in deep biblical community. Um I just think that will solve a lot of problems if you are if there are people in relationship with other people in the body that is in, that are biblical deep vulnerable relationships. I, you have to be able to talk about hard everyday stuff and the Bible teaches uh, in Genesis that it isn't good for a man to be alone. And I think a lot of uh, as far as single stuff goes, even actually I think a lot of some marriage stuff goes from a feeling of loneliness. And so I think or can stem out of a feeling of loneliness. And so um, I think that being in biblical community where people are going to ask you hard questions, where you're going to be held accountable to hard questions, um, where you're going to be encouraged to um, live for the Lord, there are some things that happen there. Two things that I think are really important that need to continue to happen in the context of deep biblical community are you call sin what it is, you talk about the the crazy cost of of giving into it and the the yuck and hard and this is what it costs me in my marriage because I did this beforehand. Yeah. I, I need people telling me that. Um, 
and I have that and I'm so thankful for it. Um, and, um, and then I think you also call the intimacy that you can have with Christ and the satisfaction that you can find in Christ. You call that what it is. So not only am I'm going to like what you Satan is deceiving you right now yep. and you have to be in biblical community to have those moments or it's going to come and go and you will either withstand it on your own or give into it on your own. But when you have biblical community, it's it helps so much yeah. for someone to say, let me call what you're thinking about. Let me call it what it is. Um, and then and then let me tell you what is so much more that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ and That's those things. It helps me to know what I will lose, and it helps me to know what I will gain. Yeah. And I can only do that through a spiritual a spiritual believer relationship. Yeah. So, No, that's good. Ryan, anything you want to add to this? One final thought? Um, consider who it is in, in Morgan's community that, that she's described, this biblical community. Um, have at least one person that you can speak to without any reservations whatsoever. If, if you don't have a person, I would say, and it probably really shouldn't be your spouse, if you do not have a person of the same gender on this particular topic that you can speak to with no fear whatsoever about telling them everything. Fully transparent. If you can't do that with someone, you are you are at grave like risk. I, I just, I, if, and I need to be that for somebody else, likely. Sure. Um, and so I need, I need someone who is willing to tell me the truth. I need someone who's willing to sit and listen to me just unload things that end up being uncomfortable, like difficult conversations. And, uh, and, and I just think that, that that doesn't mean that every conversation is miserable, but if I don't have that possibility, if I don't have that option with someone, then when, when difficulties start to come, I'm going to second guess whether or not I can say anything to Jim. And I'm going to second guess whether or not his love for me or his appreciation for me or his friendship to me is tied to my ability to continue being kind of this person who has a bit of a facade on. And I'm going to doubt whether or not he'll tell me the truth. I'm going to doubt whether or not he'll challenge me mm-hmm. like, and care about me to help me do the right thing and to do mm-hmm. the good thing. And I just I need guys around me that are willing to, to hear me say hard things and are willing to say difficult things back all for the, the, the cause of Christ. And, uh, and if you don't have that person... Um, anybody at this table would love to talk to you about not necessarily being that person for you, sure. um, but but certainly talking about what it looks like to to establish those kinds of relationships with people that are in you close know. To and, you. and in that context, I would say, um, and I know you don't mean it this way, that you don't get a pass, right? Sometimes I want you know I want to be able to I'm going to talk to Justin and I'm going to be totally honest with you, and then I. You better not hold me exactly. accountable. Like, no. You better not all. You're of a not going to tell the elders on me, are you? Yeah, yeah. you're not going to. And that's like, no. Actually, yeah. we are going to do whatever it takes to find the redemption in the gospel. Yeah, that in, person can't be a coward. Yeah, that person needs to be able to, be, to stand back up to, to you and say, "This is the right thing to, to do." Yeah, yeah. This, and they have to care for your own sanctification. Sure, you know? that's the part when we read in "Hole in Your Holiness." You know, it was interesting because we're you know we're not a staff that is like always stepping over the line. We're I mean we're very much who you see. And yet I think we all thought, wow, like there have been a couple episodes of The Office that I've laughed at, and it's kind of embarrassing to think about. And I could, I could get a sense on staff um, that, man, we, we really need to make sure that we care about this. Mm-hmm. And that um, I, remember, I remember one discussion that we had when we went through that book together, Kevin DeYoung's great book on the whole in our holiness. And basically when you enter into a, a context, a conversation, the biblical community that you're describing, um, the, the kind of relationship that you're describing, do you make that group more or less holy? Yep. And man, that convicted me because I want to be, 
I want to be someone that makes that conversation more holy. Mm-hmm. I want to be that person. And so, therefore, I think we can do a lot by not not being so intimidating that, wow, we can't say that. Jim's here, and you know him. He's a prude. He doesn't think anything's funny. But no, Jim really does love me, and he really does care for me. He cares about my sanctification. He cares about what I laugh at, and he cares about what I joke around about. He cares what I consider to be acceptable. And therefore, I don't want to be that person. So you don't just bury it up. You bear bury it down. You don't just you don't just kind of cover it up. You don't just try to hide it. Um, but in the end, if if we can be that kind of community, that's what you're describing, Morgan. That's the kind of the addressing it that you're describing, and it's kind of being that one-on-one relationships, where yeah, I'm not just gonna I'm not just gonna pretend like this conversation didn't happen. No, Ryan, we we need to talk about this, and even maybe even include some other people yep. because this looks pretty serious. Yep. Sure. So it brings me back to Drew's sermon on First Corinthians five. Like sometimes cutting somebody off is what we've got to do because it has implications for them and for everybody else. It's with the hope of reconciliation, but that's based on repentance, right? But a couple things for those that are believers, right? Those that want to be repentant, those that are confessing, like, what can I do? I'm struggling with this. So what do I do? Okay. One, like recognize when you're, when you're tested with this. So uh, a guy from Ozark came up with his acronym HALT. When you're hurt, angry, lonely, tired, those are four times when you are more likely to do something sinful and go into temptation, recognize those times. Okay. When you fall into a regular, uh, sin, a lot of times a sexual sin. And then another thing, another thing, again, this is for a symptom, like for believers that are repentant, this is not like to save your soul. Right. But like fasting can actually be really valuable in this to, to say that, I have control over my body, mm-hmm. okay? And I'm going to refocus on the cross, and therefore I'm going to spend a day, I'm going to spend a week without eating food mm-hmm. because now I know I am in control of this flesh, yeah. Yeah. not the flesh controlling me. Yeah. Those are two really valuable things. Well, that's what Paul says, and you know, I'm in the back half of 1 Corinthians 6 is Sunday, and nothing is going to control me, Paul says. Like my body has been bought with a price, my body is not my own, and therefore I will be mastered by nothing. Yeah. And, you know, that that is not Paul being a doggedly determined good Jewish boy or Jewish man. That's Paul saying, I have the Holy Spirit in me and I no longer live for me, but Christ lives through me. That's the that's the gospel. And that's what we need to call people to and, yeah. and not to pretend like somehow that's some idea. You made a comment about the power of the cross and you said, you know, this this might sound crazy or this might sound like somehow it's like it's idealistic thinking. Actually, that's what the cross is. Yeah. The cross is that idealistic thinking, mm-hmm. and we need to we need to keep being drawn to that. We got to be able to talk about these things and talk about them with that measure of grace, mm-hmm. and 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 almost like this joy of forgiveness, and yet also with the with the with the sting of rebuke, the admonishment that Paul likes to 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 call people towards. I love how Paul. Um, in the pastoral epistles really calls Timothy and Titus to be very aware that ministry, that's where it gets complicated and money and sex really can cause problems in ministry. And I always remind people, that's why I love those books. It is so real. That is so true. Money and sex really cause a lot of problems because they gravitate in, they, they kind of land in our heart and in our minds and they cause us to make the worst choices, which brings shame upon Christ and upon his mission and woe to those that do so unrepentant, mm-hmm. right? Okay, well, I uh, guarantee we haven't answered everything, but uh, you know, we may have sparked some ideas that you're thinking to yourself, wow, I, I, maybe I'm behind the eight ball on this, and I'm, 
I need to talk to my kids about it, and I don't know how to talk to my kids about it. We've got a pastoral team that would love to help you with that. If you're wrestling with a sexual sin and you're afraid of being judged, I promise you um, that we will come and share with you the good news of, of Jesus and that we will find peace and healing and forgiveness in him and uh, would, would love to, to have that conversation with you. So wherever you find yourself backed into a corner, remember that Jesus Christ so desires to set you free. And we want to be the ones to, to share that with you. Um, we love you, mm-hmm. and we care about you, and we love God and care about him and want the two to meet. Mm-hmm. So We can promise it is better on the other side of, of repentance and confession. Yeah, I can promise you, it doesn't matter how afraid you are, it is better on the other side. You have to do that. I feel like we should have a closing hymn. Praise God through whom all blessings flow. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.